Off the ball's the best, number one. It's the GOAT of sports apps. Talk about the greatest of all time. Big Joe's the greatest of all time. He's the GOAT. We know it. <laughs> I, I'm going to say right. I'm the Djokovic of this scenario. <laughs> I love it. Love it. Download the OTB Sports app now. The News Round on Off the Ball. With Gillette for an effortless finish to your day. New Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. This is News Talk. You're welcome along. Monday evenings off the ball. There are countless acts of bravery on show in Ukraine just now, including the four greatest boxers uh, potentially in the country's history who've taken up arms. We're going to chat to Gareth A. Davies about Alexander Yusik, Vasil Lomachenko and the Klitschko brothers who are doing what so many Ukrainians are doing at the moment in quite extraordinary fashion. That's on the way half past seven. Meanwhile, Jerry Thornley and Fiona Hayes on Monday Night Rugby where frankly the vagaries of rugby union laws had everyone scratching their heads yesterday afternoon. Plus Pat Nevin on the football show. FIFA and UEFA have cut ties with the Russian international team and all Russian club teams. Abramovich has done, we're not exactly sure what with Chelsea and Cuevin Keller most certainly stole the show. There's a lot going on, 53106. The text number, we're at off the ball on Twitter. Richard McCormick, evening. Evening, Joe. And Adrian Barry, good evening, hello. Hey, Joe, Richie. So lots going on, Adrian. Gareth A. Davies with us this hour just to chat a bit about Alexander Yusik, Vasil Lomachenko and the Klitschko brothers who, like so many, have taken up arms in Ukraine and travelled from abroad in the case of Yusik and Lomachenko to take up arms. And uh, really, it's not to beatify uh, those four men in particular, but they do serve as a way of personifying this phenomenon that we're all seeing. And it's the most uh, striking thing to watch uh, men and women make the journey back to Ukraine to take up resistance when, frankly, I'm not sure I'd have that bravery. I don't suspect lots of us uh, would. So we're going to chat to Gareth A. Davies about that at half past seven. And it is the most uh, extraordinary thing. It's unthinkable, Joe. Like, I mean, you've just said there yourself, um, you're not sure you'd take, you'd, you would take that step. It's, uh, it is it is actually, it's just impossible to comprehend what sort of position you would be in. Like, we knew of the desperate times we had here when COVID broke out a couple of years ago and, like, we were having to reimagine the way we lived life, not even in the halfpenny place compared to what, the people of Ukraine are dealing with at the minute. And I heard an interview with, it was, she was a um, Ukraine MP over the weekend and she was talking about how uh, three days previous, if you had asked her about, she she was there with um, Kalashnikov rifle in her hand and was saying that, you know, if you three days previously had been telling me this would be the position I'm in right now, I wouldn't have believed you. And I think, you know, it's... It's impossible to answer the question unless it arrives at your door and what an awful, awful conundrum to be in. Yeah. In Alexander Yusik, I mean, we're talking about the two-weight world champion. We are talking about the heavyweight champion of the world here. You know, it's like one of the more um, yeah. blue ribbon titles in world sport. The WBA, IBF, WBO heavyweight world champion beat Anthony Joshua last September. Really should be uh, training for a rematch against Joshua in May or June. So he has travelled back pound for pound, the second best boxer in the world right now. We have Vasil Lomachenko, who just chatting with Ronan outside. Ronan Mullen, he was saying, there's an argument this guy's the greatest fighter of all time. Like... Uh, he's a world champion in three weight classes as a pro and as an amateur, 396 fights, won 
defeat and the guy who had the cheek to beat him, he went and beat him twice after. So 396 fights and uh, one defeat. Gold at the 08 and 12 Olympics, gold in the World Championships 09-11 and is just unbelievable. He, by all accounts, married with two children, was out of the country uh, when Russia invaded and made his way back via Bucharest and Ukraine. And he's gone to his hometown in the southwest of the country and he's taken up arms. And then the Klitschko's we're very uh, familiar with and we've seen them releasing videos. So uh, it's quite, you know, extraordinary. Four of the greatest boxers of all time, potentially, or certainly four of Ukraine's best are, are very much part of that movement. So that is happening. And then, Richie, we might start with your main story in the news round because it's very significant. We had heard reports it was coming. The news round is brought to you by Gillette. Put your best face forward with our new and improved razors. Uh, big news in the world of football. Yeah, FIFA and UEFA have suspended all Russian teams from their competitions effective immediately. The decision follows an IOC resolution to bar all athletes from Russia and Belarus from competing in international sport. It means Russia will not be able to play in next month's World Cup playoffs. They were due to play Poland. Spartak Moscow have been expelled from the Europa League with Orbi Leipzig through instead to the quarterfinals. A decision on Russia's involvement in this summer's Women's European Championships will be made at a later date. UEFA has also cancelled its sponsorship deal with the Russian energy firm Gazprom, worth north of €40 million Euro a season. Schalke have also done the same today. Just last night, FIFA claimed Russia will be able to play at neutral venues, but not under the Russian flag, nor the Russian name. Earlier today, the FAI said that no Republic of Ireland team will play Russia until further notice. They are following in the footsteps of several national associations. I'm sure you were watching that story develop all day, Rich. Thoughts? Yeah, it's um, it, it basically shows what a weak decision last night FIFA had, had come to. And there's obviously myriad reasons for that. And the money is probably uh, chief among them. Um, but they were left with no other option today once the IOC, of all people who've who will take a softly, softly approach to, to pretty much anything so as to not be viewed as political, decided that all Russian athletes, all Belarusian athletes, because of their support of the invasion, should be booted out of international competition. So FIFA had no road left to travel on this. Poland had made it clear, even after last night's really weak announcement from FIFA about the neutral venues and neutral flags and all that nonsense, uh, that Poland would not be playing any hue of a Russian team. Similarly, the Czech Republic and Sweden, in the same path of that playoff draw, wouldn't be involved against any uh, Russian side and then you've got loads of federations be it Norway be it ourselves be it England um, sundry others who said that no matter what the level whether it's futsal women's football beach football whatever uh, under 19s under 18s they're not going to be playing Russia so FIFA had been left with no option here but it shows how weak a week they've had they they were appalling in their response to all of this and, and this is too little too late For, as regards UEFA I mean this is just following on essentially on, on what they built already and you can't really blame them they've done everything that's asked of them they've cut ties with Gazprom uh, you would hope that this just carries through like this can't just be a situation where Russia withdraw their forces from Ukraine and suddenly it's everybody back in the pool there needs to be some long lasting repercussions for this um, namely keep like it did the neutral thing might have to stay obviously they're looking in, and into the summer of Russia with women's team competing in the Euros in England like that can't happen like regardless of, of what happens in the next couple of weeks especially if it's uh, if it turns out the positive side there needs to be some long lasting repercussions for this and sporting repercussions are just the minor level of that It does seem Adrian FIFA have been shamed into action here and they were left with no option I mean initially their counsel on the Russia Poland match said neutral venue and it won't be against Russia it'll be against the football union of Russia you know akin to the Olympics having a 
I, I, you know, let's call them Russia, but not call them Russia kind of a situation. And the Polish FA responded. Their president was very strong. He said, this is unacceptable. We're not interested in the game of appearances. And he called on the expulsion of Russia and said, we are not playing against Russia. And then the Swedes and the Czechs came in very strongly behind Poland with similar views. And of course, that those four teams are linked in this World Cup playoff situation. Now, once that happened, and then the other... FAs came in this morning once that happened FIFA had no option because you can't have a World Cup without these other nations involved and even FIFA couldn't take the side of Russia on that point of principle so they've been utterly shamed into action laterally on this Monday and deserve next to no credit for it uh, totally agree with that. The most of the things that are happening now are are easy to do as well. Yeah, yeah. easy to do in a way that like Robert Lewandowski coming out a couple of days a couple of days ago not easy to do like uh, Daniel Medvedev his tweet didn't directly talk about the conflict but you know coming from a Russian asking for peace in the world like is putting himself in an extraordinarily difficult position in terms of the toll that something like that might take on him or his family um, you know the leadership about that stuff uh, what's happening at the minute and I know uh, Richie's right like I mean I think in terms of uh, the Gazprom bit it takes a few days to unwind that commercial bit. I would understand to some degree why that's not something you can, well, it was blatantly obviously it had to happen. Yeah. It can take a couple of days to unwind something like that. But also, I would still say an easy decision because you, for, for I mean, the, a myriad of reasons clearly, but, you know, they would be getting huge pressure, I'm sure, commercially as well from other brands involved in European football that they didn't want to be sitting aside, aside a brand like that. And ultimately, even if they were of a mind, and of course they weren't, to keep Gazprom involved financially, actually, at the end of the day, it wouldn't have made any sense. Um, but, I mean, I think that the question that's from listening to what both of you have been saying, like, I mean, and just in terms of what does, like, leadership in world sport at the minute actually even look like? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, how badly served are we by these myriad of like um, leaders in inverted commas that we've had we talk about football and it's not certainly unique in that way mm. but I mean uh, um, FIFA were sort of in a position where like Richie said they come out with this like really watery sort of comment about it almost leaving it to the point where he gets to turn around Infantino gets to turn around to his mate and go listen old pal I did my best for you I hung out as long as I can mm. even for somebody as reasonable as me you know as opposed to showing a bit of leadership in like I don't know that 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 whole bit for me is so you'd be you'd despair by it really yeah I think that's a great point Jan it does show how susceptible uh, football sport I suppose by extension has been when it comes to money and sports washing and people are tired of hearing these phrases I understand that but football does afford a certain soft power that is very attractive to a country like Russia like Russia 2018 this wonderful carnival and that does whether we like it or not that does compete in our memory bank with things like Georgia in 08 and Crimea in 14 and attempting to rig a US election and LGBTQ rights and whatever you care to mention it just does and Russia recognises that and uh, FIFA yeah, it's a lot of money it's just man, and you do reach a pinch point then when it turns out the bad dudes are going to do bad things your morality is compromised and for FIFA mm. for the IOC at times it's badly compromised and none of us are surprised like we all understand what's happened here and how complicated Gianni Infantino's life has been over the last uh, week but we don't have to respect it we don't have to think it's a good state of affairs uh, football sport just follows the money takes the money and then when bad things happen it gets tricky the only area I'd have some 
sympathy is probably not the right word, but just level of understanding with FIFA is to be fair to them, Richie, for whatever reasons, mm. they have had a long history of being very wary of adjudicating on politics and conflict. You know, so for instance, what's been thrown at them now is, well, hang on, okay, so Russia get banned, what's with the Saudi Arabians and Yemen? Why not that conflict? And I think FIFA have always been wary of trying to go down that line because when you get into the greyer areas, it does get very tricky. And I can I can accept that to a point as well. Yeah, but um, with that, you're talking about an organisation that last week took sanctions against a couple of really minor football associations for governmental involvement in their in their uh, in their day to day business. Zimbabwe was one of them. I'm open to correction on that, but there was definitely yeah. two. Kenya. Uh, that wouldn't necessarily be... Kenya, there you go. That wouldn't necessarily be world beaters. And yet they took immediate action against them at their uh, committee meeting because of that political involvement. Um, similarly, you have others. Like I was following the Chris Hewton saga with Ghana recently, uh, pretty closely, and their government is directly involved or was directly involved in, in uh, appointing their management team. So FIFA have a real we'll take this, we won't take this. They'll, you know, they'll get involved when they want to. They won't get involved when it suits them. And they have, they, they, they've been really uh, weak on this. I keep going back to that word, but it's true. Like when you look at Infantino's press conference when uh, Rob Harris put that question to him last week about would he be withdrawing the order of friendship from from Vladimir Putin over his, uh, his involvement in, in the Russian invasion. And he gave another wishy-washy answer and he says, oh, we like to stay out of political matters and all this. And yet, Infantino, in particular, is so keen to be pictured beside these political heavyweights. And whatever their current state, whether you know they're a benign force in the world or whether they're someone like Putin, he is all too happy to go and fraternise with these people. And they are political people. So you can't then turn around and say that you're not going to take action because one country is invading another. And like you can even go back to, like when was the last time Shakhtar Donetsk were able to play a Champions League game in Donetsk? They've been based out of uh, Kiev and other Ukrainian cities for the last while because of a lack of will to get anything done from political forces, not just footballing forces, from political forces to get anything done to properly resolve uh, issues in Ukraine and Russian involvement in Ukraine. So FIFA have done the bare minimum. Yeah, yeah. No, like, they've true. done the absolute bare minimum and they've done it way too late and deserve, as Adrian says, zero praise for this. It's just thankful that they finally made a call on it. So yeah. the likes of Poland, Czech Republic and Sweden can actually have a path forward from March onwards towards, Jesus, Qatar of all places in, in in the winter. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. Look, when I asked that question, I was really like Mike Lowry passing the ball to James Lowe when I was on a hat trick. <laughs> I, was just, I was just setting you up. I was just setting you up. Uh, Graeme says, there's a part of me that's Let disappointed that FIFA caved. We needed a catalyst to break the game away from them. A mass withdrawal from the World Cup would be no harm. Yeah, I was kind of hoping for something similar. Like, I mean, it, it was, it really did capture the uh, situation FIFA find themselves in when they were like, should we ban the corrupt government that took the last World Cup from competing at the next World Cup, which is in Qatar, which was also corruptly bought and has human rights abuses because they've invaded another country. I mean, even that sentence was glorious in its own way. Lomachenko is pound for pound one of the best fighters there has ever been, says Tony. So that is the situation in FIFA and UEFA. There is football Joe, this evening. Yes, Adrian. Can, can I just, like, one thing, sorry, that struck me from this whole thing, that, like, Russia have spent, and, and sorry, the, the point about sports washing, I, is this the point where 
as a sporting public, we've woken up now to this, that we're not going to accept this anymore. It will be interesting to see where we go from here on that bit. But the 20 years that Russia have spent building up that soft power base that you mentioned earlier on, the Gazprom stuff um, with Schalke and further beyond, uh, the World Cup and and the many, many, many more sports bits that they've done over that last uh, 20 years and the, the money they've spent on it. And in five days, that's crumbled. It's totally gone. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's remarkable. It's incredible. And even if the invasion was to end tomorrow, um, it'll take years, decades to if they were to if they were to do that again. And I wonder, I just wonder about the appetite for and look at maybe I'm overstating it here, but like the appetite for a sports public from this point forth to accept all this stuff and just sort of put our fingers in our ears and go, oh, look, at it's fine. You know, we're growing the game of golf in Saudi Arabia. I wonder, I hope you 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 uh on the body of evidence it's it's not going no, to happen obviously but so. I um so. I, it, it is incredible just that investment of two decades of time and a lot of money to crumble that entire whatever that was about like i mean I, you know that wasn't a huge consideration of putin i'm sure when he's invading ukraine but it's incredible that that has just crumbled now in five days mm. there is football at home this evening yeah, there is a full programme of matches in the SSE or Tristy Premier Division. Shamrock Rovers aiming to recover from Friday's defeat to Derry as they host Drogheda United tonight. Elsewhere, Derry themselves entertain Sligo Rovers in the Northwest Derby. There's a repeat of the FAI Cup final as Bohemians play St. Pat's at Dalymount. Dundalk face Finn Harps and Damien Duff takes his Shelburne side to UCD. OK, we'll keep you updated across the evening. Uh, Zach Johnson, you're up. Yeah, Zach Johnson says the US Ryder Cup captaincy is the greatest honour of his career. He'll lead their defence of the famous trophy in Rome next year. Johnson was a vice captain under Steve Stricker at Whistling Straits last year and they'll swap roles in Italy. Johnson was also asked today how much of a say he'll have in the final team selection. We're going to kind of keep it the way it has been, well, the way it was in 2020. Um, We liked the system. The PGA uh, Ryder Cup committee really liked the system of six earned Births and then obviously six picks. So uh, that's where we're going to stay. We don't feel like we need to change it. Um, and I say that it was the Ryder Cup committee of three of my peers and, and Jim and his and his peers. So uh, that equation worked, and I don't see any reason to uh, change it. Adrian, buckle up for the Zach Johnson media tour over the next two years. <laughs> is he what sort of personality is he, Joe? I've seen him over the years, not really ever stood out as somebody that was that. I think he's... I mean, I don't want to use the word interesting, but in that space... No, it wouldn't, wouldn't be interesting. I think he's a smart enough guy and I, you know, his press conferences generally were pretty good. I was there at St. Andrews. Like, he's one of the more underappreciated golfers when you think his two majors came at Augusta and the Open at uh, St. Andrews. You know, they're kind of two iconic places to win. Very religious man, uh, devout Christian, so that'd be a big part of his thing. Uh, kind of self-deprecating, but... Uh, that'd be the main takeaway from the last 20 years of listening to him so I don't know <laughs> I'm going to go with my, my odd take there <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that'd kind of be it really so uh, Zach Johnson uh, meanwhile Shane Larry I thought well looked for a long time like he was going to win last night in Florida but he didn't Richie yeah, the weather had a say in that, it has to be said. Shane Lowry says he felt the Honda Classic was stolen from him to a degree last night, needing a birdie at the last to force a playoff. The heavens opened at Palm Beach and Larry parred the 18th and had to console himself with the runners-up spot and a check for $872,000. God love him. Austrian Sepp Strake at one instead and Larry had no choice but to accept his finish. 
Fastest game, unfortunately. Um, I played the golf. Good. I played good enough golf. I feel to win the tournament. Um, you know, he's gone three under for the last five on this course, and then that bad weather came in just as we were hitting our tee shot in 18, which was as bad as break as I've got in a while. So um, yeah, it's a tough one to take. I'll, you know, it is. I, there is obviously a lot of positives to take from the whole event. Um, you know, I probably played some of the best golf of my whole career this week, I feel, around a very tough golf course. And, you know, I'll take that into... I'll take that into um, the players and hopefully I can have a good week there. Now, I kid you not, listeners, a uh, couple of weeks back, I was uh, talking rugby with Adrian Barry. You know, he's my oracle. I go to him and just see any trends in the game I should be aware of. And he said, listen, hasn't been talked about much. I just feel World Rugby Law 3, paragraphs 13 to 20. I just, I feel there's something there which could come a cropper. Just keep an eye out. That's all I'm saying. And lo and behold, Richie. Yeah, the Leinster season ticket holder was right. Ireland benefited from a World Rugby Law that saw Italy unable to contest scrums for the majority of yesterday's Six Nations game. Debutant Michael Lowry ran in a pair of tries and a 57 points to six bonus point win at the Aviva. Ireland's Hame Faiva was sent off for a challenge on Dan Sheehan with the hooker having been a late replacement for Gianmarco Lucchese. The rule which saw Italy reduce the 13 men for the guts of the match was discussed on this morning's OTB AM with Alan Quinlan. When the law was brought in, it was down to props getting or hookers getting injured or faking injury. Um, and it going to uncontested scrums. And look, if, if if a team ended up with uncontested scrums, the probability is this doesn't happen till maybe the 60th or 70th minute. Do you know what I mean? If yeah. guys are getting injured, that's, that's probably the reality. So if you were to play the last 10 or 15 minutes with 14 men, you're not really going to be going crazy over that if the law was adopted in, in, in for the reason it's brought in. But because it happened so early yesterday and because there's the red card, um, yeah. and again, probably debate around the red card a little bit, um, I, I'm probably fairly close to zero tolerance on the high hits. Um, but part of me just felt sorry for Faiva yesterday. But your letter to law situation again, it was a red card. Um, some argue that maybe it was a little bit harsh. I think if he gave a yellow for that yesterday, it was one of those ones where if the referee gives a yellow, we're, Ireland are not going to be up in arms after the game over it. Um, but it just made it a whole farcical situation. Rumours abound, Adrian, that you were so upset you, you flipped the cheese board over and stormed out of the room. <laughs> things where things got that desperate. Oh, that's awful. That is that is shocking. I'd um, Vinnie Perth the other week on OTBM giving me giving me guff about uh, about the cheese boards. It's it, this is getting out of hand. For any new um, listeners, Adrian Barry uh, does not watch any rugby matches without a cheese board. That's, <laughs> no, sorry, Le- Leinster matches. Leinster matches oh, you know, and Ireland. You know it's you know it's a big game. If I have the cheese board out, Joe, and I had no cheese board yesterday, and I, how <laughs> thankful was I that I hadn't? Oof. What a disaster! I can't remember a Six Nations game where they have the life drained out of it so quickly. And yeah. um, like, look at all the they they. Italian captain obviously hadn't a clue himself. He was he was like the rest of us going, mm. what we what this doesn't make any sense and it just didn't. It was mad. But I will say that at least it made the uh, switching over to the cup final easy. 
Sorry, Joe, but it did. No, that's fair enough. Because I, I initially, even just watching the studio, there was some confusion, as you might imagine, because I don't remember seeing yeah. something like this before. And we were looking at this referee who's in his 20s, he's a very young referee, and he's uh, George in his first ever Six Nations game. You're not anticipating this kind of a scenario, I'm sure. I'm sure his head was spinning mm. when the players were saying to him, no, you've got this wrong, you know, we'll just make a change. And I think even Peter Romani wasn't quite sure what the rationale was either. So I, I, oh, I was almost happy for him. He was proven correct, but then they'll have to do something about the law, maybe some kind of cla- uh, clause of some kind. I don't know what. In in for the right reasons, but just the wrong outcome. And definitely yeah. whenever the end of season sort of referee awards are ongoing and they get sort of stinker of the uh, stinker of the year decision to have to make award, um, he definitely gets. It. I didn't realise he was that young. Actually, that's that's. Incredible. We, I presume, as Judy, you were. Was that? Was there? I mean, you want to be portraying any confidence here? But was there somebody in the room who was like, "No, no, hang on a second, lads. I got, I got this one." No. Right. Sure, like the blank faces all around. Obscure. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Too busy sipping the coffee and eating the chocolate. <laughs> Even the uh, cheese boards. No, they were. Uh, uh, there was a degree of yeah, yeah, that rings a bell, but like not confident enough to go on national television yeah. and, and explain like. I'll be honest, I'm, I'm reasonably happy that it happened in the 19th minute and not the 39th minute because it could have been an interesting halftime uh, discussion. No, I just think it's 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 uh, so unusual for it to happen, so we weren't entirely sure. Now, GEA, Richie. Uh, before that, Joe, breaking news. Uh, it's prone to happen on the show. Uh, Jesse Marsh has been confirmed as the new head coach of Leeds United. Uh, he signed a contract through to the summer of 2025, Leeds say this evening. And he, of course, replaces Marcelo Bielsa, who was sacked in the wake of Saturday's 4-0 defeat to uh, Tottenham. So yeah. Jesse Marsh will be in the dugout for Saturday's game with Leicester. Hard to think, Adrian, of a sack manager getting so much love from all the mm. fans. I, I, just, I just guess you can't keep being whacked 5-0 every week. No, and how many fans have you seen over the last 24 hours saying like I'd rather have gone down with Bielsa and sort of fancier chances to mm. give it another go? He mm. was so loved and like such an unusual enigmatic character and uh yeah, it's it's uh, like the for for all of us neutrals it's the Premier League is uh, the worst without him today, you know. Mm. So GA Rich yeah, a lot of refixtures going on. GEA confirming refixture details for those Allianz Football League games postponed due to inclement weather on the weekend before last. The two Division 3 matches, Westmead and Longford, and Fermanagh versus Leash will take place this coming Saturday. Galway's Division 2 meeting with Offaly in Salt Hill is penciled in then for Sunday. And the Division 4 clashes involving Sligo and Cavan, as well as Wexford's encounter with Tipperary, have also been rescheduled to Sunday. Uh, meanwhile, Dublin's search for a first win in this year's Allianz Football League continues. They remain rooted to the bottom of the Division 1 table, following a 112 to 12 point defeat to Kildare yesterday in Newbridge. Elsewhere, Kerry continued their good form with a 314 to 112 win over Monaghan, that in Inishkeen. And at Dr. Hyde Park, Mayo finished strongly to beat Armagh 15 points to 110 uh, Limerick also struggling this year they remain without a win in this year's Allianz League with the All-Ireland champions suffering a third straight defeat in Division 1A this time losing by 219 to 113 against Cork Henry Shefflin's Galway slumped to a first defeat of the campaign as they lost to Wexford while Clare beat Offaly 420 to 16 points Waterford in Division 1B they beat Antrim 321 to 222 that was at Corrigan Park while Kilkenny were 228 to 17 point winners over Leash and Mayo secured their second successive win in Division 1A of the Little Ladies National Football League Michael Moyle's side beating neighbours Galway 6-6 to 2-8 yesterday Very good Richie McCormick thanks for that appreciate it Nice one And Adrian Barry thanks Adrian Thanks lads